Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Today, we continue our Everything is Overvalued bubble series with a discussion of SPACs. The financial service industry and millennials like you, Shani, <laughs> love acronyms. So first of all, Shani, what does SPAC stand for and what is your favorite millennial acronym? You know, Mark, like I, I read that you were going to ask me this question before. So I prepared a little quiz for you because millennials tend to cop a lot of flack, especially from you. So are you ready for it? I, sure. Give me, give me the quiz. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple of acronyms, um, what they mean and or what you think they mean. And so let's start with ASL, which was actually suggested by Will, our producer. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what that means. Do you want to have a guess? ASL. I my guess probably would not be appropriate. <laughs> um, so it stands for age, sex, location, and it's um, used popularly on dating sites and apps. Um, which, mom, if you're listening, I've never been on. So, and if she's listening, that is not true. <laughs> okay. Um, so you didn't pass that one. What about um, OOTD? Out of something. Outfit of the day. Outfit so of the day. So, if you're feeling particularly fresh, you're wearing your RMs, you're coming into the office, Mark, <laughs> want to snap a picture, um, you would hashtag it with OOTD. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I ever look good. All right. One more. Um, I have D-Y-O-R. Do your own research. I know yeah, that mate. one because it's on all the investing chat. <laughs> it is. Well done. One out of three. Not bad. Yep. Um, so <laughs> we'll move on with the episode. So SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company, which sounds quite ominous. So a SPAC is basically a company with no commercial operations that's used to raise money and then acquire other companies. Yeah. And if that sounds slightly confusing, it is because it is slightly confusing or maybe very confusing. And we'll explain more detail on a SPAC a little bit later. But first, we wanted to start by looking at the stock market from a company's perspective rather than an investor point of view, which is what we normally do. So companies use the capital markets, both debt and equity markets, to do just what the name implies to raise capital. Companies need to invest in order to grow, and they go out and raise money to do that. One mechanism for raising money is to go public or take part in an initial public offering. That's right, Mark. So startups turn to all sorts of sources for money uh, to fund their business. And they may start with friends and family and then move on to various stages of venture capital funding. And at this stage, companies are still considered private. So that means that while they may start to have more owners, um, they're not traded on public markets. And that means the general investing public cannot buy shares in them. At some point, as companies become more mature, they'll go public through an initial public offering. An initial public offering is quite an onerous process. There are increased regulatory obligations and all sorts of hurdles to jump through. But I want to concentrate on the actual process. Going public serves several purposes. It allows the founders and early investors to profit by having a mechanism to sell their ownership stakes in a company. It allows the company to sell additional ownership stakes so they have money to expand. And it allows investment bankers and some investors to make lots of money. And that is where the criticism in the process has started. 
Yeah, so investment banks help companies to go public, and the investment bankers work with the company to value it, which involves deciding how many shares to issue and how much they can be sold for. The investment bank also underwrites the company, and this means that they assume legal responsibility for the shares, and it also means that they're the actual owners of the shares and they pay the company for them. They then, of course, need to go and sell the shares to the public for more than they're worth in order to make a profit. And because the investment banks need to sell the shares for more than they paid the company, they need to go out and market those shares. So they go out on roadshows where they travel around and talk to investors. And these are mostly institutional investors. But they talk to them about how great the company is and why they should buy it. During and after the roadshow, the various investment banks working on an IPO are trying to build a book of orders for the company or for the shares. That is people that are interested in buying shares and what price they are willing to pay. The goal here is to find people that are willing to pay more per share than the investment bank paid the company and to have an oversubscribed offering, meaning that there's demand for more shares than are being offered. Based on the interest during this process, the price of the offering and the number of shares will be determined. And by having an oversubscribed offering, the hope is to make sure that the price of the shares jump after they start trading on an exchange. And the cynical viewpoint of this is that it guarantees that investors, um, they're buying the original shares, they make a profit um, because they can sell the shares as soon as they start trading. This is beneficial for the investment bankers because they know that they will soon take another company public and will want strong demand for those shares as well. So following this logic, we can start to look at the layers of profit in an IPO. A company raises money, which of course is good. Then the investment banks who have paid the company or underwritten the shares sell them for more than they paid, so they make a profit. And then if the share price jumps on the first day, the people who bought the original shares can make a profit by immediately selling them. The issue with this scenario is that the company is at the bottom of this inverted profit pyramid. Lots of other people are making profits, which could have flowed to the company as extra capital, which they, of course, could invest in the business. And we wanted to give this background to acknowledge that there are some very specific concerns with the IPO process, because defenders of SPACs will point to these issues to justify SPACs. So now we can turn our attention to how a SPAC works, and then we can talk about what has recently happened to them. Okay, so let's start with the mechanics of a SPAC. As we said in the beginning, it is a company that has no commercial activities. So a SPAC will raise money through an IPO, but those initial investors are not investing in a company, at least a real company, because nothing has been purchased yet. But instead, they are investing in the sponsor of the SPAC, who in theory has expertise in an industry or a business sector. Once the money is raised, the SPAC has a certain amount of time, so generally two years, to use that money to acquire a company. If the SPAC doesn't acquire a company in a certain amount of time, they return the capital to investors. If they do acquire a company, they generally list on a major exchange, and then it's public. So let's turn this around and look at the companies that are acquired by the SPAC. This is attractive to them because it's a backdoor way of going public. So once they are acquired by the SPAC, they are effectively public without having to jump through all of the hoops of the IPO process. What this means is that they can do it faster and cut out all of the layers of profit that we described before. And SPACs have been in the news a lot lately, but they are not new. They actually started in the 1990s, but they're a pretty obscure part of the market. Recently, they have had a huge surge in interest. In 2016, they raised $3.2 billion. By 2019, that increased to $13.6 billion. And in 2020, they raised over $82 billion. 
And as an investor, if you own a share in a SPAC, your return is, of course, based on supply and demand for those shares. What drives demand is often when the SPAC actually acquires a company, because your shell company SPAC turns into a real company at that point. So if a strong company is found, you could make a lot of money. If no company is found, you'll generally get your money back after a couple of years. Um, But the downside is if the SPAC acquires a bad company or pays too much for a company. And the pays too much for a company scenario is getting to be quite a concern. The more SPACs there are, the more competition there is for this group of small private companies. And when there's more competition, one of two things happen. Either too much is paid for a company since they can shop themselves around, or there's pressure on the SPAC to make a deal and they acquire a company they shouldn't. And these are very risky companies. They're not established and they are often um, a bet on some new technology or product that they may or may not work out. And there are certainly more reputable SPACs. For instance, the biggest SPAC is around $4 billion, which was raised by Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman is a pretty famous hedge fund manager who founded Pershing Square Capital. Now, Bill Ackman is an experienced investor and at least conceivably knows what he's doing. So this could be a more reputable SPAC, but it also illustrates the risk in this whole process. The shares in his SPAC are up 50% since they debuted in July, even though he hasn't found a company to acquire yet. And this surge is being driven by rumors and is pure speculation. And unsurprisingly, Redditors are driving a lot of the rumors around SPACs. Most of these SPACs are quite small and can be driven by retail investor sentiment, which is being manipulated on these forums. So for instance, Bill Ackman's SPAC surged close to 12% in early February because an entity of his hedge fund Pershing Square was preparing for its annual investor presentation. And there was a rumor that an acquisition by the SPAC would be announced. And I think, Shani, you used a pretty important word there, manipulation. And That was quite deliberate. This is manipulation by shareholders in these SPACs to get the share price up so they can make money. This action would be illegal if it was done by professional investors. This is the same thing that happened with GameStop, and it all works out great until someone is left holding the bag, and someone will definitely be left holding the bag. So in this case, we're talking about a SPAC run by a professional investor with a long track record, but we need to look at what we're asking him to do. He raised $4 billion with this SPAC, which means he has $4 billion to spend on one or more companies. But now the share price is up 50%. So for the investors buying now, they're expecting him to find a company for $4 billion that will be worth $6 billion in the near future. And they're asking him to do that in an environment, a wash in capital from other SPACs and venture capital and private equity companies. Yeah, no, that's certainly a tall order. And we have been talking about Bill Ackman a lot because he is an actual investor. We haven't spent much time talking about other people associated with SPACs, including Alex Rodriguez or A-Rod, who's a former baseball player that was kicked out for steroid use and is currently engaged to J-Lo. He actually (laughs) called her an octopus once because of all the different things she could do. Hopefully one of them is managing a SPAC. (laughs) Billy Bean from Moneyball fame is also involved in a SPAC, and Shaq is involved in a SPAC. And I heard a joke, I'm not going to claim this is my joke, but I heard a joke on a podcast about how this was a huge missed opportunity to not call this the Shaq SPAC. Um, we could we could go on and on about some of the downsides of SPACs, but as investors, you should be very, very wary of investing in a SPAC. The supply and demand issue we discussed earlier is almost now certainly going to cause issues for the SPACs in finding companies, and there are over 300 SPACs right now. 
In Q3 of 2020, 116 SPACs went public, and in Q4, the number was 87. Over the course of 2020, SPACs represented more than 50% of the IPOs. So the question is, with more SPACs starting than other companies going public, where exactly are they going to find these private companies to take public? Even if this is a superior pathway to go public for companies, how can the market function when there are more SPACs than qualified companies to go public? Exactly. So how much will their standards drop just to make a deal? How much more will the competition over companies drive up prices? There's no logical way to describe SPACs as anything but a bubble, especially since the average SPAC is trading for a 20% premium over the amount the SPAC has raised. Questionable operators... 20% hurdle rate and value that must be identified by SPACs, increased competition for companies to acquire, and an investing base that is in full-scale speculation mode seems pretty wise to steer clear. So that concludes our episode on SPACs, which is good because I'm personally sick of saying SPAC. We did say it a lot. And uh, and yeah, even though it's the only acronym that I actually used. So thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion about JLo and the octopus as much as Shani did. <laughs> if you have any ideas for further episodes or if you'd just like to give us some feedback, our email is in the episode notes. Um, but we'd really appreciate a comment if you can. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.